morning. Good morning. How are you guys feeling? How are you guys feeling? See, I need you guys to, if you hear me talking back to people, it's because I like people talking back to me. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm talking to myself. That's, I'm like, oh, yeah, amen. Mm-hmm, yeah. Feel free to talk back to me. Do not let me feel like I'm talking by myself. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Literally, my sister. Uh, <laughs> so this is the fifth week, the fifth part of Life Hacks. And I don't know if you guys have been enjoying it so far. I don't even know if you guys remember or maybe you missed a week or not. But if you're like me and you watch like a weekly show, by the time the next episode comes around, I have forgotten everything. So much happens during the week that by the time the episode comes again, I'm like, wait, what happened? Who died? Whatever. So I crucially need previously on power. Please tell me who died. I don't remember. Because then the episode is going to start, and I'm going to be like, wait, who's in jail? Who died? Wait. Uh, uh. So whenever I hear go say previously on power, I'm like, yeah, yeah, what happened? What happened? So previously on Life Hacks. <laughs> Week one, we have Pastor Tracy with us. He was talking about uh, tips and tricks about how to deal with the pressures in this world. He was telling us to laugh under pressure and how to react under pressure. I don't know if you guys remember Week two, we had my sister, Stephanie, telling us to be doers of our faith and being kind to people. And he, she challenged us to be kind. And I was kind enough that week to let somebody slide in my lane, even though they had no turn signal. And I was trying to get to work. That was my kindness. Do not judge me. Week three, Melvin talked about favoritism, how the church sometimes feels like it's an exclusive club versus inclusive, where we want people to become before they can belong. I don't know if you remember that. And last week, Pastor Rob, or Brother Rob, like he calls himself, slapped us up, or at least me, when he was talking about the tongue and holding the tongue. That same day, I went to lunch with Alan, and I was petty because I could be petty, right? I don't know what I said. I don't know what he said, but I had to come back because I'm petty. And he was like, I'm not going to pick up the gloves. <gasps> How dare you not fight with me when I want to fight? So I guess he was listening to Brother Rob. But this week, this week, we are going to talk about when tempted. When tempted. And I was like, I am the least qualified person to talk about this because sometimes I give in to temptation and I have no regrets. Like, me and a couple of people here were doing the Slim Turkey Challenge. And I sure enough had an ice cream yesterday. I sure enough went out. Uh, we went to Outback yesterday. Oh, my God. It was so good. Do you guys think I feel guilty? Yeah, today I do. But yesterday it was worth it. So I was like, am I really the person to talk about temptation. Um, but as I was preparing for this message, the Lord slapped me up. And I guess I'm here to slap you guys back because we're family, right? <laughs> so there are two life truths that we're going to be talking about today. The first life truth is that you can know the right thing to do and still do the wrong thing. And that goes for anything in life. Like yesterday, should I had ordered the brownie, the pecan brownie with ice cream and fudge? Probably not, but I did. Am I trying to win this challenge? Supposedly I am. I know what I have to do to win this challenge. And yesterday, I gave in to my temptations and no regrets. Hashtag no regrets. Um, until we have to weigh in on whatever date and I lose. Um, so we can know the right thing to do and still do the wrong thing. 
and everything that we do has its consequence. Throughout this series, we have been looking at the book of James, and today we're going to be looking at chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start with chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I did the amplified version because sometimes you need to literally read in between the lines to understand what they're saying. And verse 1 says, what leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your hedonistic desires that wage war in your body members fighting for control over you? You are jealous and covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. You ask God for something and do not receive it because you ask with wrong motives, out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda, so that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your hedonistic desires. And I was like, well, uh, that is totally me. You know, I'm the main one to be like, you have not because you ask not. And I'm going to ask of the Lord. And sometimes the Lord doesn't come through. And then I have to check my motives. What did I really want it for? What was I going to do with it? How was that going to advance his kingdom? Or was it just going to fulfill my ego and fill me up with pride? And I don't know. What was it going to do? You know, we're just selfish, selfish people. We know the right thing to do and still get enticed and tempted to do the wrong thing. And I thought about, like, when you go fishing and you have bait and the fish want whatever you put on as bait so badly that they actually get hooked. And I'm like, fish are stupid. I don't know if fishes if fish, fish is not a word. If fish have brain, um, but they're just dumb, right? But at the same time, you're not going to catch a shark with a shrimp, right? Something has to be naturally enticing to you. And what's enticing to you may not be enticing to me. Like, these people went paintballing on Friday for fun. And they got the bruises to show it. Why would I pay to let you hit me without us really getting into a fight? Like, it just makes no sense. So what's enticing to you is not necessarily enticing to me. But here's the thing. We all have weaknesses and we all have patterns. And there's always that one little thing that you're kind of attracted to. And it kind of could be a good thing. It just depends on if you do the right things to get it or if you want to get it right now. Like, do I really want to put money in a 401k and have it come out of my paycheck? Or do I just want to hurry up, get a little scratchy? And bam, I want $50,000. I kind of want the $50,000, right? Because we want it fast, especially since some lady at my job actually won $50,000. Like, how does that even happen? Um, so the second life truth that I want to tell you guys about is that you can choose if you fall, but you cannot choose the fallout, meaning the consequences. We're going to be looking at James chapter one, verses 13 through 15. And it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For temptation does not originate from God, but from our own flaws. For God cannot be tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is dragged away, enticed, and baited to commit sin by his own worldly desire, lust, passion. Then, when the illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin 
And when sin has run its course, it brings birth to death. So you can choose if you fall, but you cannot choose the fallout. If we look at verse 15, it tells us in the end, it gives birth to death. So if we fall, we will sin. If we sin, something has got to die. So the first life hack that I want to tell you when it comes to your temptation is resist it. Life hack number one, resist it. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some of us are trying to shoo the devil away without first resisting him or without first submitting to God. And it has to be in that order. We have to submit, then we have to resist, and then he will flee. For example, if you're like, I'm trying to lose weight and I should not be eating fried food, but then you go to McDonald's, you really think you're going to order a salad? Probably not. You know, so the best way for you not to eat McDonald's fast food is to not go to McDonald's. So in the same manner, we have to be careful the positions that we put ourselves in, the places that we go to, the people that we talk to. If you don't want to drink, then you probably shouldn't be a happy hour, even if you thought you were just going to get a water and an appetizer. Maybe not. You know, if you want to be faithful in your marriage, then maybe it's not okay to have a female friend that is really pretty. Uh, maybe it's not okay. Maybe it's not just a conversation. Maybe it starts off as just a thought and a conversation and a friendship, and it's okay, and she knows my wife, and sometimes it can turn into something else. So the best thing to do is to resist. If we look at James 4, 8, the next verse says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for the, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. So we have to make a decision. We have to choose who we're going to be loyal to. Are we going to stick to what we know? Or are we going to go by how we feel? Are you going to choose to be petty like me? Or are you going to put down the gloves? I have decided to put down the gloves this week. I'll let you know next week what I've decided. But, you know, we have to make decisions week after week and day after day. We have to wash our hands. We have to purify ourselves. But what happens if we have the right information, we have the right intentions, but something happens and we make the wrong choice. Like, it's easy to be, like, resisted, but what happens if I already did it? If I already went? If I already committed whatever sin or whatever thing what I was attracted to, then what? Then life hack number two, you own it. And instead of own it, I was going to write hashtag keep that same energy because it's so easy for us not to keep the same energy, right? We went in all confident we were going to go do this, and then we regret it, and we kind of like shrink. No, keep the same energy. Keep that same confidence that you went into. And, and I've noticed that in situations where I feel the most confident is where I'm more likely to fall. In situations where I'd be like, oh, yeah, I could go, I can handle it, or I could do that, I can do this. Usually when I'm confident is when I fall. So for me, I have to own it and believe and understand that it was my own confidence and my own pride that tricked me into it. The last time I was with you guys, we were in a different series. We were in more, and I was telling you guys about King David. I was telling you guys about King David, how he had six wives already. He had I don't know how many concubines. Yes, concubines. And he saw a pretty girl and decided he was going to sleep with her anyway. 
even though she was married, even though she was married to his friend, he was the king and he decided to do it anyway. This is your previously on power. Um, he went ahead and did that. He called her an Uber. Nobody was going to find out except she ended up pregnant and he had to cover it up. He covered it up, not by having her get an abortion, not by telling her to keep her mouth quiet. He covered it up by killing her husband so he could be the hero in the story and be like, oh, I rescued this pregnant girl. Okay, she can come to my palace. And he thought he got away with it. And I wanted to be a good storyteller and continue that story today. We're going to be in Second Samuel chapter 12, and we're going to read quickly to what happened after David killed Uriah. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wife in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But, be, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die, meaning the son that he had with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. After Nathan had got home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How could we tell him that this child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering amongst themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and you wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and you eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? Maybe the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So all of this happened. David was tempted. He had desires. He tried to cover it up. He committed murder. But the Lord sent a prophet that made him own it. He had to own it. He had to own what he did. And as the Lord told us in verse 15 that we read earlier, if we sin, something has to die. And in this case, for David, the son that he bore with Bathsheba was the one that had to die. And sometimes, you know, we commit 
whatever kind of sin, whatever your weaknesses is, you know, and we get into some kind of trouble and then we're like, okay, God, I'm fasting, I'm praying, will you please get me out of this mess? And sometimes he will, but sometimes he won't. And the reality is that whether he does or he doesn't, something is still dying. Sometimes it's your relationship that is dying. Sometimes it's a trust within your relationship that is dying. Sometimes it's a friendship. Sometimes it's a loss of a job. Sometimes you have to pay a fine. Something's got to give for whatever it is that you committed. So you have to own it. You have to keep that same energy. But the good thing is that we have a God that is good. Because David chose to fall. He did not have control over the consequences of his fall. And God still brought someone to him that will take him to our second life hack, which was to own it. And even though something died, when we, life hack number three, confess it, something frees us. Something frees us and then God can do something in us to rebirth, to resurrect, to transform, and to change the very thing that caused us to commit that sin to begin with. Because sometimes we do have to fall in order to realize that it is God who lifts us up, that it is not by our own strength. If we look at James chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says, if we confess our sins, no, not that one. James 4. It says, be miserable and grieve and weep over your sin. Let your foolish laughter be turned into mourning and your reckless joy to gloom. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. So we have to, if we did not resist, we have to own it. And we have to confess it in order for God to then use it and lift us up. We serve a God. We serve a God where if anything comes into him, it is transformed. If we give him anything wholeheartedly, it is multiplied. And this includes our hearts. And this includes our confession. We have a God that although something had to die, he can use that very same thing to bring something new to life. So I want to ask you this morning to take part in a symbolic act. I wanted to ask our ushers to pass out index cards that we have in the back. And maybe you are tempted by something. Maybe you're going through a certain type of temptation in your life. Maybe you constantly fall through something. If this is you, I want to ask you to write down that temptation this morning. Maybe you have already fallen. Maybe you have already committed a mistake and you just have to own it this morning. If that is you this morning, I ask you to take that same index card and write it down and own it. And maybe you've owned it, but you're still holding on to the guilt and you feel like everything that is happening in your life is the cause of this fall, is the cause of this sin, and that nothing can get better. I want to challenge you this morning to confess it on this paper. Confess it on this paper and give it to God so that he can turn it to life.